Malachi chapter number three, if you would. I want to preach on the joy of tithing. Malachi chapter number three. And, um, you know, usually whenever a preacher preaches on giving, he does so because the giving is low. The offerings have dropped. The finances are thin. I feel impressed with the Lord to preach a series on giving. That's normally how it goes. You know, we may have a non-tither in the church. Let's see if we can smoke him out tonight or something like that. I, I, I don't know. That's not our case. We've, we've had a great year in offerings. And I explained to the men a few weeks ago that um, uh, there's money in the bank. All the bills are paid. Our offerings are up. Our expenses are down from this time last year. You may have noticed we haven't even passed an offering plate today. In fact, we didn't pass one last week. And uh, if you want to give, you'll find a way. Now, we have offering boxes in the back. That's how we've been doing that. And the Lord has blessed that. And so there is no financial pressure to preach on giving. But, you know, Christian giving is not as much about money as it is about the heart. There are very few things that shows the heart of a man more than his relationship and his attitude toward money in all, er all areas of money. So it's never about the amount of money that a person gives, but his art attitude in giving. I believe that we all ought to be givers, but you don't have to have money to be a giver. If you have the heart of a giver, you'll find a way to give. And, and um, there, it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's more spiritual than it is economic. And there's nothing more that raises our defenses, our hackles quicker than for a preacher to mention giving. There's something about giving. There is a nerve. There is a nerve that runs from the heart to the back wallet. And uh, when you touch that nerve, it, it runs down there. And if you, don't, if, you, if you do not give because you don't have anything, then you wouldn't be offended. You would just pray that God would enable you to have something in order to give. You know, a church like ours, it's made up of members of every kind of uh, level of financial status. Uh, we have widows in our church who live paycheck to paycheck. We have men in our church whom God has given the ability uh, to make money and bless them with that ability. Uh, we have a lot of young people in our church working jobs. That gets me excited. Uh, young people working jobs, they don't have a wife and kids to feed, so they have nothing to spend their money on. So I'm sure they're saving large percentages of their income and setting that aside. I'm, I'm just positive of that. And uh, I, 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 we, we have some who have the ability to be a blessing to other people. We have some who need somebody to be a blessing to them. And that's just, that's just how it goes. My goal tonight, though, is to persuade every member of our church that you ought to be a giver. Now, the key is not equal amounts. The key is equal sacrifice. So the objective tonight, and this is important, is not to, give, to get someone to give more. It is to get more of you to give. That's the intent. Now, Malachi 3 and verse number 8, we'll read the passage, and then we're going to look at several passages tonight. But Malachi 3 and verse 8, will a man rob God? Yeah, you have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse. For ye robbed me, even this whole nation. 
Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse. That there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. About 10 years ago, this is how long it's been. But about 10 years ago, I preached a series here on finances called You and God's Money. What is God's money doing in your pocket? And I preached, I think, five sermons. Tithing, where giving begins. Stewardship, why giving is expected. Covetousness, where giving stops. Management, how giving is possible. Grace, where giving abounds. The way that our economy is going right now, I thought it would be a good time to revive some of those themes. I'm not preaching all of those tonight, but you know that we, we are right now in America. We, we are in a very um, tenuous situation right, right now, especially in the economy. We are seeing record levels of inflation right now this year. It is predicted that the next quarter is going to be even higher. Now, what that means is that means your dollar is going to be worth a little bit less. It's going to cost more when you go to Walmart or the grocery store. The Supreme Court has just ruled that the CDC moratorium on evictions, more because of the COVID, they have just ruled that that is unconstitutional. So that means that if you um, have a house that you rent to somebody and they're not paying the rent, now that's been lifted, now you can, you can kick them out. That, that's basically what that means. So, so here's, here's going to be the fallout of it. And, and I, by the way, I, I agree with that. But the fall of it is, is that you're going to see people start losing their homes and getting kicked out of rental houses. And, and historically, historically, when inflation goes up, housing prices go down because people can't afford it. We're in a housing bubble right now where people are buying houses maximum value. We sold a house just like that a few months ago. And, and, and people are buying houses and they're maxing out a mortgage at 100% financing. And, and, and the people that bought our house, they, they did that. But, but when that house is financed at 100%, when it, when it is maxed out, thin the bubble pops. And it starts losing value. All of a sudden, there's a whole lot of people sitting there that are underwater in their house. Now, most people are in their car, but then they are in their house. And when they find themselves down in equity, well, you better hope you don't lose your job. You better hope inflation don't keep going up because all of a sudden you don't have money to pay that mortgage. Now we begin to see foreclosures. And none of that touches the subject of debt, student debt, personal debt, credit card debt, national debt. What, what are we at now? What does it matter? 28 million trillion, 72 trillion. It's all the same, right? And it's just print more money. And, 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 and so if you ever thought about getting your financial house in order, this would be a good time to think about it. This would be just a good time to just sit down and just get serious about getting out of debt and, and kind of shoring some things up. And so I'm going to deal tonight, I'm going to deal tonight just with giving, just that part of it and particularly with tithing. Now, I believe, that the new, I believe that the Christian giving begins with the tithe. I believe that it is expected of New Testament Christians. Tithing is not giving. Tithing is paying a debt. You are not, you are not um, 
paying your tithes, you are paying God's tithes. When you tithe, you are simply releasing what God has let you hold on to for just a little bit. But the tithe doesn't belong to you. The tithe belongs to God. Now, the concept of tithing, it is very simple. You do not have to be a mathematician to understand the tithe. I was horrible in math. I, I, I'm just telling you right now, that was my worst subject. Had it not been for cheating, I would still be in Algebra 1 right now, okay? Thank God for other methods you've got to do. I, I don't recommend that, but, but sometimes you just have to do what you had to do, all right? But, 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 it's, but it's very simple. Here's a tithe. Are you ready? It's a dime out of every dollar. That's a tithe. The word tithe means a tenth. It is 10% of your possessions. Now, this is important. Anything more or less than 10% is not a tithe. If I promise you 50% of my pie, you would expect half my pie. That is not a tithe. If you make $1,000 and you give 50 to the church, you have not tithed. If you make $1,000 and you give $95 to the church, you still have not tithed. There is only one amount that equals a tithe, and that is $100, 10%. That is the only, uh, so tithing is simple. It's simple. But then tithing is sacred. Leviticus 27 and verse 30, all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. The tithe is holy. By the way, you better be careful how you use the sacred. Don't use the sacred for yourself. Because when you use sacred things for yourself, God will come after you. Tithing is sacred. But then tithing is satisfied. In Malachi chapter 3, bring you all the tithes, and then God said, I will open the windows of heaven. God rewards you for paying your debt. Well, that's the only person that does that. When you pay your mortgage, when you pay your mortgage to your mortgage company and you pay it off, they don't give you a reward. But with God, when you pay your debt, He then rewards you for paying your debt. Only God does that. Now, when you consider the tithe, there are two questions that I want to answer tonight. The first question is, is tithing lawful or is it legalistic? That question always comes up. It's an Old Testament principle. Do we have to observe it in the New Testament? Is it an Old Testament law or is it a New Testament principle? So what we do is we go into all of the scripture on tithing and we build a biblical theology of it. Since we're considering tithing under the law, we want to look at tithing before the law. Tithing under the law and tithing after the law. So tithing before the law. There are only two times in your Bible that the tithe shows up before the law was given. It shows up one time in the life of Abraham. And it shows up one time in the life of his grandson, Jacob. Now for sake of time, we'll deal with only one of them. And here's what we're looking for. Are there any principles in this that I could still apply to my life. 
So go, if you would, to Genesis chapter number 14. Genesis chapter number 14. Let me show you the first time that a tithe shows up in the Bible. Genesis chapter number 14, and look, if you would, in verse number 17. Genesis 14 and verse 17, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of this gentleman here. And of the kings that were with him at the valley of Sheba, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine. And he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him. And said, Blessed be Abraham of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he, that is Abraham, gave him tithes of all. That is the first mention of tithing in the Bible. And you will notice that there is no command for Abraham to do this. Abraham does not have to tithe. There is no law that tells Abraham that he has to tithe. So tithing is voluntary before the law. And when I look at this, I'm not looking to see if there is a command that I have to obey. Is there a principle that still applies? He's tithing to Melchizedek. Now maybe a good question to ask right here would be, who is Melchizedek? Who is that? Well, when you go to Hebrews, you find out he was an unusual man. Hebrews says that he was without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, catch this phrase, but made like unto the Son of God. Now there's some disagreement on this. But a lot of Bible students, me being one, believes that Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. By the way, do you remember when those three Hebrew boys were walking in the fire of the book of Daniel? And they looked, and, and lo and behold, Nebuchadnezzar saw a fourth man? Here's what he said about it. He's made like unto the Son of God. Do you know who the fourth man was? It was Jesus Christ. The same description is given to Melchizedek, made like unto the Son of God. So here is a man, and the Bible says that he's without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days, neither end of life. And the only way that I can figure that's true is if he is an Old Testament, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. I don't know if Abraham knew this or not, but when he was tithing to Melchizedek, he was probably tithing to Jesus. <laughs> Hebrews also says that Melchizedek had three titles. He was priest of the Most High God. He was king of righteousness and he was king of peace. Now in the Old Testament, the king could not perform priestly duties. If he crosses that line, he loses his kingdom. Saul found that out. But Melchizedek was priest and king. He's a type of Jesus Christ who was prophet, priest, and king. So there's no question that Melchizedek is a type of Christ. But then I would just add to this. He was a type of Christ in his present ministry. 
You do realize that during Jesus' earthly ministry, he was under the Old Testament dispensation. His death marked the end of the Old Covenant and the beginning of the New Covenant. So here's my question for you. I'm not, I don't want to go too deep in this. But was, was Melchizedek a type of Christ before the cross, which would be Old Testament, or was he a type of Christ after the cross, which would be New Testament? See, here's, here's the reason why I ask that. If Abraham tied to a pre-cross Melchizedek, then you could argue that it's Old Testament tithe. But if he's tithing to a post-cross, Christ, Melchizedek, you understand the difference? Then it sure looks like it's New Testament tithe. Well, the answer is that Melchizedek is a type of Christ in his ascended position. Christ was not a priest before the cross. He was not a king before he ascended to heaven. So the type of Christ in Melchizedek is of his ministry now, not his ministry in the Old Testament or the gospel era. So the first mention of tithing in the Bible is a man tithing to another man who is a type and possibly even the pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting to me. By the way, do you know why Abraham tithed to Melchizedek? Because in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham and his 318 servants had gone out to rescue Lot. And Melchizedek had somehow provided his servants with food. So Abraham does not tithe to get a blessing from Melchizedek. He tithes because he already has been blessed by Melchizedek. He's not hoping to bribe Melchizedek in helping him, he's responding to the help that he has already received. He's tithing to express his gratefulness. There's another reason why Abraham tithes to Melchizedek, and I'm already enjoying this. Because Hebrews 7 and verse 4 says, Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of his sport. Abraham tithed to him because he considered him great. You don't tithe to someone unless you consider them greater than you. When you tithe, you are acknowledging just how great he is to you. That's tithing before the law. But then you have to look at tithing under the law. There's only a couple of passages that explain the specifics of tithing in, in Old Testament law. And, and I won't cover all of them, but I want you to look at Leviticus chapter 27. Leviticus chapter 27. We'll look at just one passage, and you can check the cross-references later if you'd like. But Leviticus chapter 27, and look at verse number 30. This is, this is Old Testament Israel. Leviticus 27 and verse 30, end of the chapter, all the tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree is the Lord's, it is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will let aught, redeem aught of his tithe, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof, that's 20%. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, 
the tenth shall be holden to the Lord. He shall not search whether it be good or bad, neither shall he change it. And if he change it at all, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. Now, now from this you learn that tithing in this economy is not just money. But they tithe in their herds and their flocks and the seeds and their crops. They are nomadic people. They are agricultural people. The flocks, the seeds, that is their income. So that's the equivalent of giving money today. And the tithe is considered holy unto the Lord. The word holy doesn't mean morally clean all the time. Sometimes it just means that it's set apart. It's sanctified to God. We talked about that word this morning. God counted the tithe as his. To take the tithe was to take something that God claimed ownership to. The law makes provision for a man who either could not or did not give his tithe. If he wanted to give money instead of tithing from his flocks or his herds, he was to add the fifth part, 20% to it. And this is not the same as a burnt offering. It's not the same as the sin offering or the trade. All of those offerings, no, because in verse number 33, he shall not search whether it be good or bad. That simply means it's not to pick out the best or the worst. You just pick out the first. You, you just give a tenth. If, if, a man, if a man had increased his flocks by a hundred lambs, then he is to give ten lambs to God as a tithe. Don't select the best ten or the worst ten. It's not a burnt offering. You just select ten. That's the tithe. Now, there's other passages tonight. I, I won't go. You can write down Numbers chapter 18 if you'd like. Deuteronomy chapter 14. Several passages in Deuteronomy that lays out more guidelines for the tithe under the law. In Numbers chapter 18, the tithe is given to the Levites for their support. We'll talk about that in just a minute because the Levites didn't have any inheritance in the land. There was an additional tithe that they gave once a year and that tithe was to finance their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem. That's an extra tithe. And then there was a tithe that they gave every three years and that tithe was, was for the poor. And so that's, that's tithing under the law. Now, when I look at everything under the law, I, I'm looking for general principles because I know I don't live under the law. I understand that. So I'm looking for principles. And, and I'll just give you a couple of basic principles. One, tithing was the standard proportion of giving in the Old Testament. It's 10%. Tithing was off of their increase. Tithing was used for the maintaining of the tabernacle and the support of the Levites. And I remind you that in Malachi 3 and verse 8, God said that to not give the tithe, it is to rob God. That's a serious passage right there. I don't think I'd pass over that too quickly. I think I'd ponder that. God established how much they were to give. It's not an arbitrary amount. It is a percentage of their increase. They didn't give God what was left over, but they gave to him first. You have tithing before the law. You have tithing under the law, but then tithing after law. And the question, really the only question that comes up is, 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 is do we have to tithe because we're not under the law? We are under grace. That is some people's favorite verse. Not under the law, but I am under grace. 
And we know that the ceremonial law has been done away with. We know that, 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 that we don't sacrifice, we don't observe the Sabbath, all of that, that's done away with at the cross. But, but the debate is over what do we keep, do, do we have to keep any of the law? The Bible says we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. The question is how do we use the law lawfully? That there's good instruction in the law, but it must be used in the right way. And some would say that the right use of the law is to obey only the ones that are repeated in the New Testament. If there's an Old Testament law that's repeated in the New Testament, then obviously we are bound to that law. There's a flaw in that argument. The flaw in that argument is that there are some Old Testament laws you better abide by that aren't repeated in the New Testament. I, I, I just mentioned this, and, and then, then I'll pass on. There is a law in the Old Testament against bestiality. That law is not repeated in the New Testament. You're bound by that law. So, so that argument is flawed. So there are three principles that you look at when you look at the law and our use of the Old Testament law in the New Testament. Here are three principles. Here they are. Number one, if an Old Testament law has been set aside, if it has been changed in the New Testament, it is no longer binding on the Christian. I'll give you an example, Acts 15. In Acts chapter 15 at the Jerusalem Council, the debate was circumcision. To save Gentiles have to abide by them. And their conclusion at the Jerusalem Council is that circumcision has been set aside. Colossians chapter 2 counsels holy days, Sabbath days. Those days have been done away by the cross of Calvary and you and I do not observe those ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. We learn things from them. But we don't observe those laws. The second principle is if the Old Testament law is repeated in the New Testament, then it's recognized as binding. Exodus 20 and verse 14 gives a command against adultery. That command is repeated several times in the New Testament. You're still bound by that law. And then here's the third principle. If the Old Testament law is not mentioned in the New Testament, then you look for scriptural principles or patterns to determine what does God require of you in regards to that law. I'm looking for principles. For example, Leviticus 19 and verse 28 contains a law, Old Testament law, against tattoos. Ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. That was a pagan practice in Old Testament days. So God said to his people, the children of Israel in the Old Testament, don't do that. Don't do that. that that's something that the world does. We have people in our church that are covered up in tattoos before you got saved. So we said, all right, come to the New Testament. Did you know that in the New Testament there is no law against tattoos? It's not mentioned. It's not set aside. It's not repeated. However, I look for a principle. The principle in the Old Testament, why did God say not do that? It's because it's a worldly practice. It's a pagan practice. I, I don't want you doing what the world does. You're set apart. You're different. I come to the New Testament. There's all kinds of verses that say that my body belongs to the Lord. I'm to honor God with my body. I'm to abstain from the appearance of evil. So I can't give you a verse in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but I can say that the principle still applies. I, I don't believe that a Christian ought to get a tattoo. 
I don't have a black and white verse that says thou shalt not, but I got a principle. Amen. I'm not living by a law. I'm living by a principle. So, so I take those three principles and I apply it to tithing. Is the law set aside in the New Testament? And unlike laws like circumcision, animal sacrifices, holy days, there's no place in the New Testament where I can find that tithing has been abolished. And then the second question I ask, all right, is the law repeated in the New Testament? Well, there actually is an example of tithing. Go to Matthew chapter 23. Go to Matthew 23. It's still in practice, not commanded, but it's still in practice. Look at Matthew 23 and look at verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgments, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Jesus is not commending the Pharisees. He's condemning them because of their attitude. They're tithing, but there's other things they're not doing. But I would just have you to notice that Jesus did not say you shouldn't tithe. No, you should, but you should have also done these other things. It's not set aside. It's not repeated, but it is, there is an example here. But then, are there any principles behind the law of tithing in the Old Testament that would apply to New Testament Christianity? And the primary principle of Old Testament tithing is God's ownership of everything that they have in their possession and their acknowledgement of His kingship over it. That was the purpose of it. Can I tell you that God is still our King? That God still owns everything? The principle still applies. Now let me give you one more thing because I want to get to the second part of this. Anytime that a Christian doesn't want to do something that he's convicted of, he always falls back to, well, I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. As if you have no obligation to the law. As if it has no bearing upon your life. We know that we're not under the law, but we know we can learn something from the law. The law is our schoolmaster. It'll teach you something if you'll pay attention to it. I'll give you an example. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. The Bob Eads brought this passage up to me this morning, not knowing that I was going to go there. But look, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll begin reading in verse number 7. Paul's writing, and he's going to talk about paying the preacher. It's a good subject, isn't it, huh? 1 Corinthians 9, look at verse number 7. Who giveth a warfare any time at his own charges? Who planteth a vineyard and careth not, eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I think these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses. Well, you're not under the law, Paul. Yeah, but I'm going to use the law to teach you something. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God take care for oxen? 
Now what Paul's going to do, he's going to launch into a discussion of how the church ought to take care of the minister financially. And I can come to this passage tonight because this church takes care of this preacher better than anybody that I know. Praise God. Hallelujah. He's going to teach them a principle, but he's going to appeal to the law. Verse number 9 is a quote from Deuteronomy. But Paul, I thought we weren't under the law. He's not putting anybody back under the law. But he's going to use the law as an authority to teach New Testament living. You see, the principle behind Deuteronomy 25.4 to him was as binding now as it was back then. Look at verse number 10. He's going to twist it in even more. Or saith he it all together for our sakes. For our sake, no doubt, this is written. That he that ploweth shall plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things. He's using the law to dictate to New Testament living. Then look at verse 13. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple. They which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. He's talking about Old Testament. The Levites, the priests, they that live of the temple, they, they're, they're partakers of it. You, you, that, that's the tithe. People came and they brought the tithe and that's what the Levites lived off of. So look at it again. Do you not know? They which minister about holy things live with the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers of the altar. Now watch verse 14. Even so, in like manner, just like back then, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. Verse 13 is Old Testament. Verse 14 is New Testament. And he ties them together with even so. Just like the priests in the Old Testament were supported by offerings, even so, your ministers should be supported by offerings. By the way, how were they supported in the Old Testament? By tithes. That's how they were supported. Even so. In the same manner, by the same way. I think that's interesting. Tithing, is it lawful or is it legalistic? I believe it's lawful. I believe it's binding for you and I. Here's my second question tonight, though. Tithing, is it a burden or is it a blessing? Now, if you're looking for a loophole to get out of the tithe, you'll find it. It's not specifically commanded in the New Testament. Peter didn't say nothing about it. Paul never wrote about it. But I have found that most people that do not tithe, it's not because they don't believe in it, but because they don't want to give the tithe. So you see, selfishness is a powerful force in a man's life. Sometimes it's so powerful that it blinds him to discernment. And sometimes you can argue with a man till the cows come home, but he will not be persuaded. That this is for him. Christians do not live by a law. They live by principles. If a man has to have a law before he ties, he's missed the essence of Christianity. There is a greater authority over my life than law, and that is grace is what it is. 
Grace teaches me that I should give, that I should not neglect the tithe. If the Jew, if the Jew was expected to give 10% under the law, grace expects much more of you. The Bible says, for unto whomsoever much is given of him shall be much required. Have you been given more under grace than the Jews given under law? Grace teaches us to go beyond the law. Now quickly tonight, quickly tonight, I've, I've got to hurry and have a baptism. Let me give you nine reasons why tithing is a blessing. I've got ten. I'm going to give you nine. Are you ready? I'm going to give them to you fast. Give them to you fast. Here they go. Nine reasons. Number one, tithing recognizes the ownership of God. When I tithe, when I tithe, I am recognizing that all that I possess is the Lord's. If I have health, wealth, it is simply because God has given me the power to obtain that wealth. Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 19, Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. If God so desired, he could require much more than 10% of what all belongs to him. And by the way, by the way, I said that a dime out of every dollar, here's the thing about it, he doesn't ask you for the dime until he gives you the dollar. <laughs> hmm give you the dollar, but then ask you for the dime. David wanted to build a temple for the Lord and he collected an offering. And in that prayer for that offering, here's what David said. Who am I and what is my people? That we should be able to offer so willingly after the sword for all things come up thee and of thine own have we given thee. When you tithe, all that you're doing is you're taking part of what God has put in this hand. You're taking it and you're putting it in the other hand of God. For all of your giving, you're simply returning a portion of what God has given you. Tithing recognizes the ownership of God. The second blessing is tithing proves my obedience. I believe for me, to not tithe is to be disobedient to God. Now you may find a loophole. If you're looking for a loophole, you will find it. But it is a personal commitment from me. It is a conviction that the tithe belongs to God. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye pay tithe of men and anise and coming and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. Watch this. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Jesus didn't criticize them for tithe. He criticized them for only tithing. You've neglected other matters. But by the way, by the way, warn you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Even the hypocrites were tithing. So if you don't tithe, you don't even live up to the level of a hypocrite. Amen. Tithing proves my obedience. I'll tell you the third reason why tithe was a blessing to me is that tithing testifies to my love. I know that you've seen the bumper sticker that says, if you love Jesus, honk. Anybody can honk. How hard is that? There ought to be a bumper sticker that says, if you love Jesus, tithe. <laughs> That'll prove your love to the Lord a whole lot more than honking. Amen. 
Did you know that there is a law which says that you have to take care of your children? You have to feed them. You have to give them shelter. You have to clothe them. You have to educate them to some degree. You brought them into a world, the world, and you have a responsibility to take care of them because that's what the law says. So in the morning, you get up in the morning and you say to your wife, Mabel, get up. And get these children up. Get some Fruit Loops, and we're going to feed them breakfast, and, 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 and let's let's get them off to school because I'm afraid that if we don't feed them and wash the sleep out of their eyes, I'm afraid that the cops are going to come and they're going to they're going to take us to jail for not taking care of the children. No, 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 no. You don't take care of your children because the law says so. You take care of your children because love says so. Love is a higher law than the law. I'm telling, you, I'm telling you tonight that when I put my tithe in the orphan plate, it is an expression of my love. I'm not doing that because of a law. I'm doing that because I want to. Amen. If a Christian was to tell me that he doesn't love God and doesn't tithe, I don't know that I believe. It testifies to my love. Oh, I wish I had time. I wish y'all wanted to hear this, what I do. I'll tell you the blessing of tithing. Tithing bestows a blessing. We read that in Malachi chapter number 3. Now that doesn't mean that if you tithe that God's going to make you rich. The charlatans on television will promise you that if you sow a seed into their ministry that God will give you a hundredfold. Huh? The prosperity gospel is nothing more than a religious scam. That's not what we're talking about. I will tell you that the Christian who ties, he may never have a bank full of money. He may never drive a new car. He may never have a fancy house or take exotic vacations or enjoy the finer things of life. But I can I tell you that the richest blessings of God are not monetary. That they're not economic. The things that makes a man rich are things that, that don't glitter with gold and silver. <laughs> well, my wife and I, we got married. We were poor as Job's turkey. We were so poor we didn't know Job had a turkey, to be honest with you. We spelled poor with five O's. That's how poor we I actually pastored another church beside this one. Two months. Two months was all that needed from us and them to know that we weren't a good fit. They didn't want me and I didn't want them. We made $500 a month. And considering how I preached back then, that was a little bit overpaid, to be honest with you. $500 a month. I don't know where I was going with this story, but anyway, it's just. How long have we been married? 30 years. 30 years. 30 years we've tithed. I hope, I guess, out of every dime. Not rich yet. Getting there. Maybe. See what Bitcoin does. <laughs> I just had to throw that in. Let me tell you, we got blessings. We, we got blessings in our family. You can't put no price on it. Tithing bestows a blessing. I got to hurry. got to hurry. We're going to baptize. Tithing says that I trust God. God challenged the Israelites in Malachi chapter 3 to trust Him, put Him to the test. Try tithing, see if God will pour a blessing beyond your ability to receive it. The reason a lot of people don't tithe is they don't believe God. Tithing is not so much a matter of money, it's a matter of trust. It's not a matter of finances, it is a matter 
of faith. Tithing is not God's way of raising money. It is God's way of growing his Christians. I heard about a church member who was having trouble with the whole concept of tithing. It came to his pastor. He said, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm just too far in debt. I, I can't tithe of my income. And so the pastor said, well, John, I tell you what, if I promise you that if you'll tithe and you come short in your bills, if I promise you that I will make it up, would you try tithing for one month? And John thought about it for a minute. He said, well, pastor, if you'll promise that you'll make up the shortage, and then I'll try tithing for one month. And the pastor said, no, John, how would you put your trust in a man like me? And you won't trust God. I don't have, he's got everything. If you'd trust me, why can't you trust him? Tithing says, I trust God. Then number next, tithing. Tithing supports the church. The purpose of the Old Testament tithe was to finance the ministry of the temple and to support the Levites. And so today, the financial needs of the church are met through the tithes and the offerings of his people. When I tithe, I am saying I am for the church. Amen. Is it unreasonable to expect every member of the church to help carry the financial load of the church? Is that unreasonable? If you're a member of this church and you don't tithe, you're a freeloader. You enjoy the ministry of the church, but never do your part to finance the ministry. Somebody said, well, I don't tithe, and I don't know where it's going. We call you $2 tithes, is what we call you. When you pulled into the parking lot, you was driving on it. When you came through the door, you were swinging on it. When you sat down in the pew, you was sitting on it. That's where it goes to. Gotta hurry, gotta hurry, gotta hurry. What's tithing do? I've said it. Tithing exemplifies the giving of Jesus. Now, now watch the 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that he through his poverty might be rich. If you want to be like Jesus, you'll have to be a giver. You'll never give as much as Jesus gave but you'll never be more like Jesus than when you give. Now, let me show you something. Do you know how he gave? He gave so much that it lowered his lifestyle and it raised others. He became poor that we might become rich. And we're told to be followers of him. You think, we think that sacrifice is doing without something that we want. But sacrifice is giving up something that you already have and need for somebody else. Sacrifice, sacrifice involves lowering your lifestyle. I don't know many people that have done that for the cause of Christ. But lowering your lifestyle. I know some who will lower their lifestyle to keep from going bankrupt. To keep from going into foreclosure. But how many do you know have lowered their lifestyle to serve God? I'll give you eight. Tithing is an antidote against covetousness. It's an antidote against covetousness. I won't preach on that. Number nine. 
Tithing is a gauge of my spirituality. You understand God doesn't need my money. But he asked for it. Because money represents so much to us. And God wants us to demonstrate our love to him by giving something which is so near to our hearts. Tithing is not so much a matter of what you think about giving. Tithing is a matter of what you think about God. Now, I've said all that I can say tonight. I, I, I'm going over to our church tonight, just to Victory Baptist Church tonight, so I preach to. If you don't tithe, you should start tonight. You should. If, if, you, if you have not been tithing, you should go back and catch it up. If you're a tither but not a giver, you ought to ask the Lord to help you grow in that grace. So how much should I give between you and the Lord? As every man purposes in his own heart. I'd like to do, I'd like to do sometime a series on finances, and I probably won't. But if I did, the first thing I'd tell you is that the tithe belongs to the Lord. I get paid on the 1st and the 15th. This week, the 1st is a Wednesday. I get a check on Wednesday. And I deposit that check the day I get it. And I'll sit down Wednesday night. And I do all of my finances online. All of my bills online. And the first one that I'll pay, and I do it online, I do it online, is I go to bbcmilton.org my tithe and pay my missions and get that out of the way. That's the biggest check. That's the biggest one. Just get rid of that one. And then I look at the bills. I look at Excel and start paying them bills off. But the first one, just by principle, the first one belongs to God. And I'm just telling you tonight, God will bless you. God will bless you if you'll just pay that to God.